Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. On this week's episode, we discuss Aaron O'Toole becoming leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and Ontario's rent freeze for 2021. Our loss of T'Challa, Jacob Blake, and the NBA's response. Alberta's Nigerian justice minister. And plenty more. Last week, we discussed the Conservatives' leadership race, but we didn't get to discuss their new leader because he wasn't chosen until early the next morning because the Conservatives' voter apparatus was in disarray. Aaron O'Toole is the third leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, When he finally took the stage after 1 a.m., O'Toole said he has a mandate both to reunite the conservative family and to appeal beyond its current voting base. Now, I don't know how he's going to do that when he spent so much time appealing to the social conservative wing of the party, but I guess he really does believe in miracles. O'Toole may now be the new conservative leader, but he and his party are nowhere near ready to govern. They still got to answer some fundamental questions, like how they'd respond to the COVID-19 pandemic a disease requiring investment when all they want to do is bring in more cuts and austerity, or how they'll address their disconnect with the rest of the electorate, especially Black people, Indigenous people, and women. That's especially true when his entire campaign was about, quote, taking Canada back. Like, that was literally his campaign slogan. So take Canada back to what exactly? Back to unchecked misogyny? Back to policies that suppress equality? Back to bigotry? Remember the snitch lines? Back to xenophobia? No fucking thanks. What are your thoughts, patients? I am not interested in going back in time, so it's a no for me to the conservative time machine, Curtis. (laughs) That's a no for you, dog? It's a no for me. (laughs) I mean, look at the fundamentals of the party, right? And we've kind of touched on this before. 69% of them are white supremacists, having said that they prefer immigration from white countries. And for comparison purposes, guys, 15% of liberals said the same thing, as did 27% of NDP voters and 28% of green voters. You know, it's funny too. I read an article in the TIE back in May that shared that Stephen Harper's fingerprints were all over the new conservative race, that he was supporting O'Toole. And not only that, that he was actively sandbagging McKay. And look at the results from Monday morning. This is still very much Stephen Harper's party. How do I know? Well, in 2017, the last time the party was supposed to find its soul and become more progressive, it came back with Andrew Scheer. The karaoke Stephen Harper, as the article said. Now we've got O'Toole, who, despite his very real progressive conservative roots, has decided to go hard right by courting social conservatives. And it's funny, too, that I was reading the key points of McKay's platform, and it was decidedly more... Well, I was going to say progressive, but that's not true. I'll say more reasonable. 
What was McKay saying? Well, he he wanted a a focus on job creation, support, and incentives for new oil and natural resource extraction projects. Um, look, that's somewhat reasonable, minus the new incentives for oil, because what are we in, the 80s? Repealing Bill C-69 and C-48 and the liberal carbon tax, which is a great idea if you want greenhouse gas emissions to keep rising. Banning Huawei from Canada's 5G network, honestly, that is completely reasonable. Meeting Canada's commitment to spend 2% of its GDP on the military, and I consider this reasonable, but I wouldn't do it if it meant low-income Canadians would be forced to fend for themselves. Expanding high-speed internet to rural and remote areas, also completely reasonable. And finally, undertaking a comprehensive review of the tax system, including changes to capital gains. Now, I consider that to be likely unreasonable since as a conservative, he's likely advocating for less taxes, even on capital gains, which means those in the middle class and those who are low income will suffer because it would further hollow out the tax base that's needed to fund social programs, social programs that undergird many in the middle class. Now let's compare that to O'Toole, who wanted a, quote, fiscal stability plan to bring the federal budget to balance on a prudent timeline. That word salad doesn't mean anything but cuts. A pay-as-you-go rule requiring the government to find a dollar savings for every dollar in new spending. Again, cuts. Repealing Bill C-69 and C-48 and the liberal carbon tax. We already know why that's bad. And finally, invoking the notwithstanding clause to impose mandatory minimum sentences for serious crimes. This disproportionately affects Black and Indigenous people. It's literally part of the basis for why Black Lives Matter exists in Canada. It's also a failed policy as it does nothing to keep communities safe. Here's a quick excerpt from Michael Spratt, a certified criminal law specialist and partner at the Ottawa criminal law firm Aboriginal Goldstein and Partners, explaining that minimum sentences preclude courts from taking into account the specific facts of the offense or the offender. And this is why courts have found minimum sentences unconstitutional time and again. They are a one-size-fits-all solution that creates more injustice than it solves. He adds, this is not controversial either. It's been accepted in decisions by the Supreme Court of Canada, every court of appeal, and countless lower courts. It's been the topic of hundreds of hours of expert evidence before parliamentary committees. So why conservatives still peddle this shit is beyond me. Well, actually, it's not. I know it's because most of their voters don't like Black and Indigenous people who are overwhelmingly represented in the criminal justice system, which is exactly what it was created to do in the first place. White supremacy, anyone? Just listen to what a random conservative had to say about this analysis. And by the way, um, I was reading about the analysis in the Huffington Post on Facebook, so I was looking in the comment section. <clears throat> just clear my throat to get this, uh, this great piece of commentary out. Quote, I like some of his ideas if he ever did them. What's missing is the repeal gun ban, defunding the UN and the WHO, withdrawing from the Paris Accord, allowing and mandating doctors to prescribe effective pain medication for legitimate chronic pain sufferers who do not abuse it, withdrawing from the Paris Accord, defunding the WHO and the UN. By the way, I didn't make a mistake just now. He forgot that he already wrote that. Defunding all media, deporting all illegal border crossers to their country of origin, to the country they arrived from, and protecting Canada from globalist elites. All ethics violators need to be immediately charged, removed as MPs, and thrown in prison. Cut all ties to China, close embassies, and impose massive tariffs on all products made in China. 
environmental protesters must be banned from ever entering Canada. Antifa radicals and rebel Indians must all be in prison. Well, whatever their plans to bring Canadians into their fold, they won't have much time to do it since many are widely expecting that an election could be happening as early as this fall. Our federal courts have ruled that the Canada-U.S. Asylum Agreement, known as the Safe Third Party Agreement, is null and void, with a catch. It feels like there's always a catch. Yeah, sometimes. In a decision released July 22nd, Justice Anne-Marie MacDonald said the agreement, which stops people from entering either Canada or the U.S. at official Canada-U.S. border crossings and asking for asylum, violates the section of the Charter guaranteeing the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. And, And this is where the catch is, guys. McDonald suspended her invalid ruling for six months to allow Parliament to respond, which means that the law is still active. The 16-year-old agreement, which remains in effect, recognizes both countries as, quote, safe countries for migrants and states that refugee claimants are required to request refugee protection in the first country they arrive in, meaning Canadian border officials would send back to the U.S. any would-be refugees arriving at an official border crossing into Canada where Trump and his minions are waiting to detain them in inhumane conditions, only to send them back to the countries they fled for their lives. How can we keep saying that the safe third-party agreement is valid when we know Trump hates non-white immigrants and refugees? And by the way, that's the exact same position that the Canadian Council for Refugees has. They're demanding that the federal government, one, immediately stop sending refugee claimants back to the U.S. and suspend the safe third-party agreement. And secondly, accept the court's judgment and refrain from pursuing a further appeal. And is the government saying they'll listen? Not quite. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair said the government filed an appeal because they believe there are factual and legal errors in some of the court's key findings. This is a direct quote from him. He's saying, there are important legal principles to be determined in this case, and it is the responsibility of the government of Canada, as in not the court's, to appeal to ensure clarity on the legal framework governing asylum law. I mean, what do you think about that? Patience says in response. I mean, I think Canada wants to do the right thing and has a reputation for welcoming people who are fleeing from their countries of origin. That is that is one of the the aspects of Canada's reputation. I'm not at all making any claims to say that this is absolutely true. If Canada wants to continue to do this in the era of Trump, which I I pray is almost coming to an end. November. If we want to continue to do this in the era of Trump, then the safe third party agreement is not the way to do that because we as a country have noticed, (laughs) I I hope, or, or concluded rather, that that country is not safe for refugees. Simple. What do you think? It seems pretty damn simple to me. If this were a different time, I think I might have been more willing to provide backup to the Liberal Party, the government, to say, listen, this is something that has to be done so that they don't lose points to the Conservatives on policy. But nah, man, nah. Like, I'm, I'm done doing that because the, this is a policy that is affecting people who look like you and I and people who look like some of our listeners who may not be Black. It's affecting them very negatively. And it's time for that to change. I, I, I don't have time anymore to wait. You know what I mean? Right. Well, moving on to the economy, last week we shared some real good news for renters about price drops. Now we have even more good news for renters because this past week, Doug Ford, Doug Ford of all people, said your rent won't increase in 2021. 
A statement from the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing explained, quote, every year the government sets out the maximum allowable rent increases for the year to come in rent-controlled unity. Those increases are modest and tied to inflation, and for 2021, it would have been 1.5%. But this year is not like every year. We will engage the tenant and landlord groups to ensure the proposed legislation is fair and balanced. That sounds great, but to be honest, what jumps out at me as a problem is that this progressive conservative government has been really bad at listening to the advocacy groups that they really aren't aligned with. I mean, just look at how they've been treating teachers and how they treated the parents with autistic children. And quite frankly, this Doug Ford government has been outright hostile towards renters, likely due to the financial ties it has to developers. We must never forget they helped Doug Ford win his victory in 2018 handily. But I guess times have changed due to COVID. And I guess they want a second term. (laughs) So they're putting a softer face on their policies. We'll see if they're genuine. Mm -hmm. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, patients, tell us about the Black 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 universe. Well, most of us have now watched as 29-year-old Jacob Blake was shot seven times in his back by police in Kenosha, Colorado, in front, no less, of his three young children. While we have to remember that the injustice is ongoing, as Jacob Blake was very recently lying in a hospital bed while being handcuffed to his bed through recovery, we should also remember happier times that this man comes from a legacy of people who've been fighting the same fight. His grandfather, the Reverend Jacob Blake Sr., led the fight for fair housing in Evanston throughout the 1960s and 70s and led the Ebenezer AME Church Congregation. He organized marches following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. that eventually led the Evanston City Council members to ban racial discrimination in housing. All of us are part of this effort, part of this movement to make life better. And although we have so far to go, we have to sometimes think about how far we've come. And I just wanted to, to highlight um, amidst the stories of, you know, the, the, the sad stories of, of Jacob Blake being shot in front of his sons and Jacob Blake being handcuffed to his hospital bed. I also wanted to bring in some stories of, of the legacy that this man is walking in. In the aftermath of Jacob Blake's horrific attempted assassination by police, the NBA said, nah, fuck this. We had numerous teams like the Raptors, Bucks, and Magic boycott games on Wednesday. We had the Lakers and Clippers initially boycott the rest of the season. They changed their minds the following day. Ultimately, the stoppage led to the NBA and Players Association releasing a joint statement 
with concrete plans to advance the conversation around anti-Black racism. Part of that plan includes that in every city where the league franchise owns and controls the arena property, they'll convert it to a voting facility. And if that isn't an option, team governors will work with local election officials to find another election-related use for the facility, including but not limited to voter registration and ballot receiving boards. Also, the league will work with players as well as network partners to create and include advertising spots in each NBA playoff game dedicated to promoting greater civic engagement in national and local elections and raising awareness around voter access and opportunity. Now, I know this doesn't sound relevant to some, especially if you don't vote, but you have to understand this. Everyone must. Councils, legislatures, and other bodies with elected officials, like corporate boards, are where decisions happen. Decisions that affect your life and mine. Decisions that spell out what is allowed under law from what isn't. Decisions that either uplift us or destroy us. And to bring things a little bit closer to home, the SIU report for the case of Regis Korchinski Paquette is now out. This week, Ontario's police watchdog, if we can even call them that, cleared seven Toronto police officers of any wrongdoing in the death of the 29-year-old who died after falling from her High Park apartment on May 27th. This is very, very disappointing, however not surprising. I think that there's been a lot of critique of police officers watching other police officers and that there's probably some more conversation that needs to happen around what happened to that young lady uh, when the police entered her apartment to help her and left uh, with her having fallen uh, from from her, her balcony. We've become more aware of similar cases uh, where police officers have gone in for wellness checks or, or health checks and people have not made it out alive or have made it out battered and bruised. So we have folks in our community who have their eyes on that, but it's it's important and it's helpful for us all to remember that this is happening in our city too. Curtis? You know, I uh, <clears throat> earlier this week, I watched a video from Saskatchewan of a Mountie being extremely violent toward a man and another man who were both in a home and one of them who had apparently just injured himself because he was experiencing mental health issues. And so the, the men inside were recording, right? And, and what they recorded was this big, burly, white Mountie yelling at them through the window and then literally trying to punch the window. He punched the window three times. Very aggressively, like like I'm a, I'm a big guy myself, fam, and I know that if I were the one experiencing that in the moment, yeah. I'd probably be wondering, am I going to die right now? Right. Um, and it was for a wellness check. Dude said, "What did he say?" He's like, "Oh, I, I, I honestly don't remember if he swore. He likely did though." But he's like, "Open the open the door. It's for a wellness check." And this guy left, came back with an axe. What? By this time, the two men inside had opened the door. Like, you can literally hear them on the video saying, should we open the door? Because, like, he's going to come back. And they open the door. And I guess they open the door because they see that the nurses are now there. If I remember correctly, the nurses came in first and the cop came in. The cop took their phone. The point being, this is what I'm getting at. Wellness checks can be downright 
scary for black people, in this case, for indigenous people. And so you have to think about that. Like, if you watch the video, think of what Regis was feeling in that moment, especially if those Toronto police were acting in an as aggressive manner to her as this Mountie was acting to these indigenous men. And you want to tell me that they had nothing to do with her falling? Bullshit. I just wanted to put that yeah, out there. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Curtis, because we are often... Like, that doesn't make the news, right? Um, I would argue that had it not been for, I think it was a family friend or a cousin of, of Regis Kwachinski Paquette posting things on online, on, on Instagram, that that story wouldn't have made it to the to the, the general consciousness of, of Black Toronto. So I, I really appreciate hearing more about this because we can't afford to be ignorant to these things. Chadwick Boseman has gone on to rest in power and everyone from our forever president and first lady Barack and Michelle Obama to black mothers everywhere had a tribute to share or a story to tell about how this man touched the lives of our communities. Marvel posted a tribute from Ryan Coogler, the director of Black Panther, and I wanted to share a small but powerful excerpt. Please do. Quote, in African cultures, we often refer to loved ones that have passed on as ancestors. Sometimes you are genetically related, sometimes you are not. I had the privilege of directing scenes of Chad's character, T'Challa, communicating with the ancestors of Wakanda. We were in Atlanta in an abandoned warehouse with blue screens and massive movie lights, but Chad's performance made it feel real. I think it was because from the time that I met him, the ancestors spoke through him. It's no secret to me how he was able to skillfully portray some of our most notable ones. I had no doubt that he would live on and continue to bless us with more. But it is with a heavy heart and a sense of deep gratitude to have ever been in his presence that I have to reckon with the fact that Chad is an ancestor now and I know that he will watch over us until we meet again. End quote. So, you know, earlier at the beginning of this movement, people were knocking statues over. People were tired, sick and tired of seeing the legacies of oppressors stand tall in our public squares, in our public amphitheaters. And guess what? People are still about that life. So activists in Montreal have pulled down a statue of Canada's first prime minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, who was linked to, to cruel policies that killed many Indigenous people in the late 19th century. Curtis, why would they do that? I don't know, friend. Tell me why. Well, for more than a century... McDonald forcibly removed at least 150,000 Indigenous children from their homes and sent them to state-funded boarding schools. Many children, an overwhelming amount of children, were abused and killed, and they were forbidden from speaking their own language or practicing their culture while at school. The Truth and Reconciliation Report called the practice cultural genocide. The conservatives don't agree with that, by the way. Who cares? 
Like the conservatives are also 69% white supremacists. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. He was accused of allowing famine and disease to kill many indigenous people. And his government forced some First Nation communities to leave their traditional territories withholding food until they did so. Curtis, it's so bad that in Scotland, they had to remove Sir John A. Macdonald from their list of notable people, fam. So you mean they reckoned with the negative history of one of their heroes, but we don't want to? Tell me about it, man. They said, quote, on their website too, they said, quote, (laughs) while we want to celebrate the very positive contributions Scottish people have made across the world, we also want to present a balanced assessment of their role and are reviewing the wording of these articles in that light. That was done in 2018, and Sir John A. Macdonald has not gone up since then. I hear that. Thank you, Scotland. I hear that, man. I hear that. On a prior episode, we talked about Theru Teban and Jocelyn Munsi, who were hired as transit safety dispatchers in the spring of 2019 after passing a rigorous election process at Metrolinx, only to be fired a few months later. The reason? They failed a TPS criminal record check. Why'd they fail? No one could tell them since Toronto police only issue a pass or fail. And you might recall, neither of them have any criminal records, nor had either of them had any run-ins with police. Anyway, they've launched a human rights complaint seeking damages for lost wages, pension, and benefits. Their lawyer calls it a wrongful dismissal on the basis of race. We love to see it. And quite frankly, we must always use opportunities like this to draw attention to the plight of Black people in this country until anti-Black and for that matter, anti-Indigenous structures are dismantled. Moving further west in Canada, Alberta now has a Black Nigerian justice minister. Minister Casey Madu becomes the first ever Black justice minister anywhere in Canada. This is significant since historically justice ministers and attorneys general in Canada have been white men that have little to no understanding of the disproportional impact of the justice system and what Black communities experience. Madhu has experienced racial prejudice firsthand and can bring that sensitivity to this critical role. At the same time, though, his party's stance and therefore his stance on everything from climate change to fracking to public pension funds to health care to education isn't very progressive. So I'm happy to see a black immigrant in a high rank in this country. I just hope he doesn't take his province backward. You know, Curtis, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, I am Nigerian. I'm not sure if the listeners know that. I am Nigerian and we have a significant number of Nigerians in the United States who are Trump supporters. So that, let me put it that way. We can be very polarized in, in our political beliefs since Justice Madu comes from uh, a, a not progressive party, a perhaps backward party. I would be... Re- the United Conservative Party of Alberta. Uh, uh-huh. I would be really, really hesitant to to even expect that this man is going to bring an anti-Black racist perspective. But you never know. I support anything that is going to eliminate barriers and that is going to make things better for Black people. And it is not always the case that Black leaders do that for their people. But I really, really hope minister... Madhu, I really hope that you prove me wrong and that you are the most progressive justice minister that Alberta has ever seen. I hope so too. 
And maybe, who knows, because the truth is that the United Conservative Party, just like the Conservative Party at the federal level, is an amalgamation of the progressive conservatives and the wild rose in Alberta. So maybe he came from the progressive side. Who knows? I don't know. I actually don't know. Maybe he did. And it's so, like you said, maybe he'll surprise us. Yeah. I love surprises like that, you know? Surprises are fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, Curtis, did you know these fires in California are still going? Yo, I knew I could smell something weird the other day. No, no, no. Honestly, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like the forests in California are still burning. But now people are, are dying. Six people were killed in the last week as a result of the growing inferno. Apparently, the inferno is now the size of Rhode Island, which isn't that large, but is large enough to have a significant impact on the state. Taking the death toll from six to eight. Again, not a huge death toll, but certainly something to keep our eyes on. And we've talked a lot about what's happening in in the United States already, but these fires in California are really something to pay attention to. Especially because they definitely could come north. So, yeah. Ottawa this week created, an, or they will be, creating an inventory of racial minorities. I just wanted to quickly mention that. We don't have to go into detail. I'll just quickly talk about it. Yo, Curtis, you're going to be on my inventory? I mean, like, I haven't really started my public service career yet, but I just might. You feel me? You feel me? You feel me? Uh, wait, is it only for public servants? Because there are people who are outside of the public service who could make good public servants. But I guess I guess it is. I guess it's you have to work in the system. Yeah, you got to be a part of the system first. That's a that's a problem. That's a problem for that. That's a problem for government, and it's being fixed within government. So that's good, but yeah. it doesn't affect everybody else outside of government just yet. So, guys, we love hearing from you, and you know, every now and then, you guys pop up in my DMs. I know people pop up in Patience's DMs. So, um, here's our question for today. We talked about the NBA and the Players Association and what they've come to terms with or what they're going to be doing in order to advance the conversation around anti-Black racism in the United States in particular, but quite frankly, North America more broadly. Do you think what they agreed upon is enough? Should they have gone further? And if you think they should have gone further, what would that look like to you? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip Deal. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.